Welcome to Sassholes the Podcast, a podcast where me and Pete Jansen's Pete say hi. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Talk about our six years of experience in the SAS area. Um, today's topic, we're going to bring on Brendan Sweeney, uh, who is the co-founder of Pop Menu. He's going to talk about dude, the journey. Great guy. We know him from way back when. Uh, he's going to talk to us, and he talked to us already about um, his journey as an entrepreneur and a startup and, and, and the issues he's had to overcome since COVID. So it's a very interesting talk. Great catching up with him. Um, before we get started, I thought we would get this out of the way, the painful uh, joke of the day from Pete. Pete, your joke of the day. Well, it's a quick one. It could be a repeat, but I had so much love on Facebook recently. I'll bring it up again. You know, I tell you a COVID joke, but there's less than a 1% chance you'll get it, Carney. Yeah, that did get a lot of uh, action on Facebook. Um, but yes. Who needs friends? Okay. So, um, before we get into the other segment, let's let's give a shout out to our sponsor, NeuroNoodle. NeuroNoodle, you want to get a doodle of your noodle if you suffer from ADHD, anxiety, you want to get concussion protocol, go get a doodle of your noodle by visiting NeuroNoodle.com today. They just launched their first podcast, hosted by none other than a fellow sasshole, Pete Jansons. You should give it a listen. He, get, he brings on his sister, Dr. Laura Jansons, who talks about neurofeedback, and Heather Kearney, my wife. And, Outstanding uh, job. They both did an excellent job, Pete. You know, you sort of lacked compared to them, right? That's that is true and not uncommon. Yeah. Um, all right, our next segment is we like to give some shout outs to some of the people that are listening um, out there. Pete, do you want to start? Yeah, let's start with an old school Brandon Straussy, man. Had work anniversary over at uh, Inmar, regional vice president. I read SIU kid coming off the street learning sales and all the work his way up to vice president. Good for you, Straussy. Who yeah, you got, Carney? Justin Jackson, I know we gave him a shout out before. I hired Jackson, Justin JJ. Jackson, um, I don't even, a long time ago at CareerBuilder. He just started. I want to give him a shout out. He's over at Phenom People. Um, so I want to give him a shout out, him and Cassie. They both met while they were me, uh, his wife, and they now have two kids and live in it. Um, so, so now it's Justin called Phenomenal People. Phenomenal People. All right. Peter, oh, what Oh, this is old school. Wendell Brunner, man, one of the first inbound guys at our old gig. Uh, One-year anniversary at Zep Incorporated. Looks like he's dropped a few pounds. He looks like a freaking model on his LinkedIn. Oh, man, he's 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 impressive. Way to go, Brunner. He he plays a mean horn, Carney. He's got a – oh, yeah, the Sidemen. Gosh, dang, I think it's called the Sidemen. Wendell, could you uh, email me let me know what that is? We can edit that out in post, Carney. Yeah. Who else you got, Carney? Um I got a shout out to my cousin, Tom Oak. Um, he's over at uh, Quad Pay, was it raised for a bunch of years. Um, I'm giving him a shout out just because one, he's my cousin. Two, he's a great guy, very smart, came from Boston. And three, his his mom had an unfortunate accident this a uh, couple weeks ago. So oh. she's in our prayers right now, hopefully recovering in, uh, in a hospital. Hang Pete, in there. Yeah. All right, last one I got is uh, Mike Schaffer, one year anniversary uh, over at Upwork, Senior Director of Sales Operations. He was always my uh, finance guy, man, when I couldn't find you, Carney. Yeah. Smart, smart dude. Yeah, he was over at ADP, and now I was at uh, Upwork. Um, all right, final uh, shout-out. I'm going to give a shout-out to COVID, actually. Uh, they what? took out Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's, uh, he, so he can no longer play my uh, Notre Dame um, Fighting Irish in a Saturday for now. So the Notre Dame Fighting Irish might have a chance at a national uh, title if Trevor Lawrence can't play. So COVID, thank you so much. I think you should thank Boston College. I think they did something to him. Yeah, maybe. Don't, don't, don't mess with those Catholics, Carney. We'll All right. <laughs> so our next segment is news. Pete, what do you got for the news of the day? Yeah, I'll, I'll run it down. GDP grew 7.4% or 33% uh, 
at an annual rate. What do you think about that? Carl? Much higher than everyone was anticipating. Well, that's what it's uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, what I was hearing, that might be the, um, the magic carpet uh, that Trump will uh, use to maybe win a bunch of key states on Tuesday. So, well, you know how good that polling data is. All right. Initial uh, weekly jobless claims fell to 751,000. That's down 40,000 from the previous week. Uh, that's the lowest number since March 14th when it came to 282,000. I thought it was pretty interesting. Crypto, man, uh, is coming into play because uh, PayPal says you can start paying with it. So uh, Bitcoin, I, I hopped on board the Bitcoin train for a little bit, you know, dipped my beak in the water. Everyone did at one point. Uh, so that's interesting. So I think on, the, on, the, on, the, on the unemployment stuff, I want to reiterate, it's going to go up. Go. Uh, it's going to yes. go up. It's going to go up in 2021, guys. It's going to go up, especially with uh, – uh, future lockdowns coming, it looks like. We well, got lockdowns, plus lockdown. you had the census this year, right, Carney? Yeah, census the year? stimulus package doesn't seem to be coming anytime soon. Well, uh, we'll it won't ever come. It won't come if Trump wins. It might come if Biden wins. Um, so they're buying they're buying votes now that way, right? Um, well, here, uh, we'll try to keep politics out of it, sort of. Okay, Biden wins, then he's going to throw in all the money for the infrastructure. So watch Caterpillar. You see Caterpillar going up, then uh, that'll be a Biden victory. Uh, but I don't think so. Uh, little, well, I said I was going to talk politics, but you check out Tucker Carlson's uh, missing Hunter Biden documents. I've only heard about it. I've tried to figure out UPS what that's all about. Lo- uh, you know, UPS know. lost it. Now they've recovered it. And no one really knows what's in the documents, right? So, you know, it's it's kind of funny. That's I don't know why they would make news of that, but Tucker, come on, Tucker. Yeah. Um, all right. That, that's the big stuff that I had. We, we're saving time because Sweeney did such a hell of a job. Yeah. Uh, what a job he did. That's a heck of an interview. So now let's go to our segment. No time sooner than later to go with uh, Brendan Sweeney. All right, hey, welcome to our segment. Um, as we said before, we brought Brendan Sweeney on with Pop Menu. Uh, Brendan, you want to give a little background on yourself and your company, if you could? Give you uh, a plug to the audience here. Sure, sure. Good to be with you guys. Um, Pop Menu, it is SAS, of course, part of why you guys have me on. Um, but it's SAS for restaurants, and really we specifically – set out to do something that we just saw a big need in the market, big empty space for anything that kind of approaches consumers for restaurants. And, and, and it has, you know, there's, there's a big, I mean, it's a huge market. And the idea behind us is that restaurants and specifically independent, you know, SMB restaurants, they don't have many tools to um, acquire or engage customers. Like the only really mature tech in that space is point of sale technology and, and some other back of house stuff. But when it came to, in today's noisy digital world, how does a restaurant go out, find new customers, re-engage with their existing ones and do it in a way that's efficient, you know, and cost effective, but also powerful. And so that's what we do. It's kind of an all-in-one platform. It goes from hosting the website to a dynamic menu experience that's really unlike anything else in the restaurant space. Um, It's got a built-in kind of bespoke CRM that's completely fitted to um, restaurant use cases. And most of it's automated. And, and so, you know, a lot of this has to do with the fact that the restaurateurs are, are the busiest people in the world and they've got an incredibly difficult job, especially, you know, the last seven or eight months. And, and we just, we set out to kind of simplify that and make it easier for them and, and also make those tools really powerful for them so they can focus on what they do best. And that's, you know, hospitality. And so the idea kind of came from, uh, it actually came from something we're all familiar with, and that is. Uh, I was comparing a few websites, uh, sorry, a few websites of restaurants to set up a team meeting. And 
it, this, it's, not, it's a bougie origin story, but this was uh, when we were based in, in Europe and, and we were doing a team meeting in Paris and, and I was comparing three restaurants for, um, you know, kind of a team outing and all of them had PDF menus. And I think it took that, seeing it in that context, you know, greatest food city in the world, three unbelievable, um, you know, huge, well-known restaurants. I'm like, why, how, why is it a PDF? Like, how is this a PDF? It's not just, you know, these little restaurants that are around me in the Atlanta area. It's, it's literally worldwide. And so that just got me curious, you know, what, why this was in 2014 when the idea first came up, how, how come this is still a thing? And so I started to dig into it and started to understand more. And at that time, there was such a heavy shift in consumer behavior to mobile and to near me searches and, and all of that. And it was just clear, hey, this is not going to work, you know, long term um, PDFs. And so I started to come up with some sketches and, and prototypes. I've been doing internet product for 20 years. And, and so I just get excited about stuff like that and thinking about, well, what could be more compelling, you know, more compelling way for a restaurant to present their, their inventory, their food, their story. And it's like everything, everything's more compelling than a text PDF. Um, so got super interested from a consumer perspective um, in, in all these different things you could do with a menu. And then I, I got recruited into a company called Commissions Inc. Commissions Inc does SaaS for real estate teams. Um, I came in and headed up product and marketing and we built up a team, we replatformed it, and we had sold the business to Fidelity National Financial, which is a, a Fortune 500 company. And that was a very quick under two year journey. And, and it was awesome to go through that. Um, you know, it's a great financial experience for everybody involved. And it was also a really awesome learning experience. And, and it taught me this dynamic of small local businesses having to contend with large, technically sophisticated third party platforms. And so in that case, it was we were helping real estate teams kind of contend with Zillow and Realtor.com and things like that. And so what I saw was if you kind of take that consumer experience that the big sophisticated third party platforms have, put them in those small local business hands under their control, then they get a lot of great things that happen. I mean, they really get control of their business. So coming out of Commissions Inc, I had this playbook for helping, you know, SMBs, local SMBs take control back from, from a, a third party platform. And then we paired that up with this restaurant menu idea from a, a few years you know, before that. And so when we put them together, what we saw was this is a, this is a concept that can really make a difference for, for restaurants. And so we set out the, the original idea for the company was we will put the consumer experience that people want into the restaurant website under their control. And so then you have photos, reviews, ratings, social validation. Then there's no reason to bounce out. You know, there's no reason to come in, see a text menu go out to a, a better consumer experience and make your dining decision. So that in about 5,000 words is, is how it started. And then how it evolved from there. I mean, we're, we're super, super in tune with, with our client base and we just listened and, and we didn't just listen to like, what, what kind of software would you want? We just listened to you. What, what's, what are the pain points in your life? What are the pain points in your business? And, and are there areas we just look for areas where we could help. And so we went from, this, this menu experience that we thought was really cool and that restaurants thought was really cool. And then we added in by popular demand, posting the entire web experience. Then we built in integrated marketing tools, uh, social media, mass emailing, um, automated smart emailing, um, SMS, all of that in one place. And then when COVID hit, we, we expanded out, we added in a lot of things that just, they, these, these restaurants had to have to survive. And so we built online ordering in a two week period and we built contactless menus, um, we just got really, really close with the client basing and kept just cranking out more and more features that they needed. And, and now we step back and say, okay, we, the number one thing that's unique about us is this uh, really dynamic visual interactive menu experience. 
but that's inside of a complete all-in-one package. And that's something that just hasn't existed, especially on the small business side of, of, of um, the restaurant industry when it comes to consumers. So what I heard there was at the beginning, this started in Paris in 2000, about 14, you had the idea, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you sat on it basically for about five years, right? Four or five years. Well, we ended up starting the company at the end of 2016. 2016. And so, okay. yeah, so I went to Commissions Inc. and that was an all-consuming experience. Yep. And so, yeah, it sat on the side for two years, yeah, but it just, it, that was SAS Academy. You know, that was just like, here is, I didn't know it at the time, but it was, here are a million lessons on how you can do SMB SAS. Um, and, and so we, it was, it was pretty cool to kind of put the consumer side of it, you know, away for a couple of years, go and unintentionally learn the, the whole kind of B2B side and say, man, here are 15 things that you kind of have to put in place for this to work for SMB. And, and so then it was great to be able to, to pair them up and it's just worked so well. I think it's, I think it's uh, uh, something else in there for listeners and for myself. When you think you know SaaS, go join another company and they'll teach you uh, SaaS from a whole different perspective. I'm going through it now because I, I go through mergers and acquisitions. We're buying companies right and left. And it's amazing how different the SaaS world is from what I thought it was to what it is now. And, and I'm more in the enterprise SaaS model. Yeah. Uh, working yeah. And that's totally different from, from SMB. It's yeah. <laughs> totally different. I know we're working, we're actually working on an acquisition in the SMB market right now. So yeah. Great. Right. All uh, the numbers are different, right? Like all the unit <laughs> economics are different. The retention's different. It's just, it's a, it's a, like a whole different business. You know, some of the, I think people do tend to talk about SaaS as though it's this one monolithic thing, but very, right. very different based on who the buyer is really. Based on who the buyer is and based on the product that you're selling, right? Because SaaS is a huge all-encompassing product really if you think about it it's but you know what you're doing is SaaS. what arguably what we were doing at career builder was SaaS. um what i'm doing is completely different and more technical SaaS platform uh right now so it's kind of crazy so let's get back to the start so in 2016 you were you, you just left commission inc right yes how did you like how did you start like how did you do that how did you take that plunge obviously commission inc probably helped you because they sold it right and you were you were uh, you got some cash through that sale and then, and then but it allowed <laughs> you to have feet. a little freedom right to do that but how yeah. would you go about doing that let's say you didn't have commission ink there when would you say it's time to take that plunge and sort of pull out of corporate america which i'm sure everyone wants to and start their own thing yeah yeah great great question you know it's funny because um I mean, I stayed on as a consultant for another year and a half uh, with Commissions Inc. But um, while you were uh, while you were pushing that, while right? I was starting, yeah, yeah, and they, I mean, they knew about it, mm -hmm. and and they were just keeping me around for continuity, just in case something happened, you know. Um, but but it's interesting because so why did it start? I I, I totally planned to take some time off and, and do nothing, and um, and then Tony Roy, who you guys know, um, mm -hmm. is one of my co-founders. He was also in the process of leaving Career Builder at that time, so we we're both coming free. And so he had gone through some interviews, including a place in Chicago, I won't mention the name, but he called me. He's like, man, I can't do it. I just went in, I interviewed in this place. It was soulless, it was a bunch of high cubicles. Everyone's miserable. I can't do it. Let's, let's start something. And he was like, what about that restaurant idea? Because we had always talked about it while I was still at Career Builder. And so I actually flew out, met him in Southern California where he lived, and, and we got together and started talking about, um, well, what could it be? What could this business be? And so we actually did a whiteboard and we put a lean canvas together. And I think a lean canvas 
is way better than a business plan because you can actually just do it. What's it's a like, lean can hold on, what's a lean canvas? Uh it's a basically a one page strategy document. It looks like um I mean it's a very, very simple template where you have different things like, you know, what are your unfair advantages? Uh what's the market? It's just a very basic way of breaking down the opportunity. And okay. so we we pulled that template together, started filling it out. And as we started filling it out, I was like, yeah, this, this could be something to this, you know? And then the other part of it was he said, hey, listen, I'm willing to work for a year with no pay. That's that, that's pretty critical that's, to get started. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, honestly, that's- We're, we're, we're figuring it out. Me. Yeah, right. It, 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 <laughs> I got four it's kids and, and me, and it's kind of, it's difficult when you're thinking, well, I'm not gonna get paid for a year or two. That's really, really difficult. I mean, that's why I didn't do anything sooner is, is um, you know, family and bills and all that stuff the whole time uh, during corporate life. And of course, when you're getting your normal, like five, six, 8% raise, that's spent before you even get it, right? So you, right. it's not like you're, it's not like you're incrementing the ability to just step out of the, of the hamster wheel. So, so that was number one is Tony's like, I'm willing, like, I love this idea. I think there's something to it. I'm willing to work for a year with no pay. And that was number one step forward. I told my wife that and she's like, well, you probably, you pretty much have to do it. You're not going to have that opportunity again. And, um, you know, I was also, I mean, I was still consulting in, in my day job. And so that helped, but, but I was also fortunately in a position where I didn't have to, you know, didn't have to have a huge check to cover all my bills for a while. And so that, so that's, that's two steps. And then, and then our other two co-founders, Justice Blasco and, and Mike Golo, um, they were willing to work on it part-time. So they had they had jobs, but they were willing to work on it for sweat equity. And so, I mean, just the short answer to what, it, to, to what you brought up, Jamie, is, I mean, I do think starting it part-time is the way to go. Most people cannot, you know, yeah. step out and just say, I'm yeah. going to go, I'm going to go and, and live this Spartan lifestyle and have, you know, have, have super financial pressure and I'm going to figure this out. Starting a startup, I mean, it's hard enough, even if you have money, like it's, it's super, super hard. And to add to that pressure, a bunch of financial pressure, it's way, way, way more preferable to be doing it part-time. Just do what you can, and it doesn't matter if it's 10, 15, 20 hours a week. What matters is you're just constantly making progress. And, and, and so I'm a big-time advocate. I actually had very early investors tell us, hey, I think, it's, I think it's great that, you know, you guys, most of you guys are not fully on this yet, that you're doing it from the side, because that means you're going to come up with something that's better long-term versus something that's going to get immediate, you know, cash. And so we, we four got together. I mean, there were a couple other people at first that we basically said, who's interested in this idea? Here's the basic idea. And if you're interested in being part of the founding team, we're gonna have this presentation on this day. Th this happened right at four years ago, right now, that we pulled, it was early November in 2016. So we pulled, uh, we pulled a presentation together and which, you know, 15 years of corporate, I can pull, I can pull some PowerPoints together. And so um, we got six people on the call, four people ended up saying, I'm in. And we formed the company and we were, we were off and running. We actually, I mean, we built the first version of the product in about six weeks and got it live with a, with a client in, in a sushi client in Long Beach, California. And so, um, and then we iterated from there, but that, that was really the start was just, Hey, here's, here's a basic idea. It wasn't super fancy. I've never written a business plan. I don't even really know what it is. Um, it's, that sounds extremely complicated, but a lean canvas and some visuals, some, some prototype, that, that's really all we needed for people to go, okay, I get it. And I understand and I'm, I'm into it. So, I mean, I think, I think our key point there though, is it's not only part-time, but you need to have the right people, right? The right partners that you trust. Cause I you know gotta like like I, you got to like them. I, I, I started up something I had to shut down cause I had a partner problem when we were doing it part-time. It was called, Wait, the, what? I want a vacation. Oh. Not you Pete. 
but it was uh, <laughs> I had a problem with one partner that just wanted to do it part time, but then didn't do anything, and we were earning some money off of that. And then uh, we tried to say, hey, take a third of the, well, there was three of us, take a third of the money that's in the bank, and and he didn't want to leave. He wanted us to pay him. So then we, unfortunately, we voted to shut the business down. But it, it's <laughs> but I think people I think people are a big component of this. I think you need to find the right people that you trust that will contribute the work. So even though they're saying, I will do it part-time and they're raising their hand, they have to do it part-time, right? Did yep. you have any caveats in there? Like if things changed with one of those original four guys, I mean, what would have happened? You have to be, all of you yes. have to be in the right times of your lives. I mean, so many things have to come together and like each other and trust each other, you know, to get, you know, six people, that's, that's pretty impressive, man. Yeah. Well, we ended up with four, two of them dropped. <laughs> so we ended up with four. You only dropped that two. Is, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. I mean, pe people aren't, I mean, people, this, all this company is, is people, all, all SAS is, is people. There's nothing that you're putting in anyone's hands. There is, it's, it's just everything. Like we talk about that all the time. Like we are pretty picky hirers because that's all this, that's all we have is people. There's, there's just nothing else to it. Yeah. And so that was number one, we liked each other, we trusted each other, but we also held each other accountable to, to do our part. And, and we also didn't have to hold each other accountable. There wasn't a lot of like, Hey man, Tony's not carrying his weight, you know, or what's Mike doing? It was just, we were all into it. That's another part. You got to really be excited about it. Nothing great's ever done without enthusiasm. We were all, we just all thought it would be cool. You know, yeah. when we started, common goal. it was just common like goal. common goal, but it was also like not, for me, if it would have been this super, super specific plan where it was, here's what's going to happen. And at year one, it's this and year two. And we were pretty, we were basically like, we want to see progress. We want to feel like we're moving forward. I think if you have to be super, super specific with your co-founders, it's not going to work. I, I just think it's not going to work. It's got to be pretty apparent to everybody involved. Like what, what are we doing? And so, yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, even to this day, four years in, we don't argue like we, debate and we disagree and we're i mean that's always respectful we, we're, but we've been on the same page from the start you know and we just kind of see the same see things the same way and man if you're very early days not you know having that experience you can only imagine it's only going to get harder you know and so that that is the key is finding the right co-founders and i also think the key is having like having four people was the minimum for me because you all you all have to um shoulder burdens at different times and the less people you have the, the less that can be done. And I, I will say that one thing I see with people in startups is they focus so much on the slice of the pie that they, they don't think about the whole of the pie. Like for, for me, it's, you know, okay, great. You have 70% of zero, you know, yeah. it's much better to have, you know, 25% each or whatever it is yeah. of, of something great. And I think people get so focused when they're thinking startup, they're thinking, I want to get rich and I'm going to have huge control over this. And I'm not this big piece. Well, you're going to have a lot of responsibility too. And the more you spread the equity, you spread the responsibility, the more you, you kind of spread that burden out. So you're, there have been, it's been rare, even though we've worked really hard, it's been rare where, where any of us have really felt super burned out. I think that's, so we, that's a great point right there. What you just said, bring on so more partners. So you're not carrying all the brunt and the stress of the entire startup. I, I think that's, that's really insightful. So kind well, of brunch, yeah, a lot of the, a lot, lot of the people that listen to this uh, are just, you know, starting out in sales, first line managers trying to figure it out, uh, maybe first time entrepreneurs that want to, you know, start their own biz. You know, Musk says uh, starting a company is like eating glass and staring in the abyss, Brendan. If you could, if you could go back in time, 
what would be the, the, the one thing you would look at and say, damn, I wish I would have done, done this differently? That's a, tough that's a one. good question, I mean, Pete. That's a very good question, Pete. It's a terrible quote from Musk, but it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I do think people, I, I do think people underestimate just how hard it is. It's really, really, really hard, and it's and I think we all envision it being this big, dramatic, a series of kind of dramatic events. You know, that's not what it is. It's well, thousands, well, did it, thousands did it of like, days. You know, did it really like get real once you got you know the financials in or somebody? Because that to me, the fi I hate the financials. That's why that's why Carney's here. <laughs> But at least we both know what zero looks like. Yeah. Um, did, how, how did it come to play, or did you build or get to the next level once you got somebody on board helping with the financials? Or did I mean, it? We I just don't know. We, we just hired our VP of finance. So uh, no, it's. I think what it's hard for me to say exactly what I would say in terms of what would I change. You'd always wish you were a little bit faster. You know. You'd always, and so does that mean, I mean, I wish I wouldn't have taken that Thursday off or, you know, does that mean right. I wish I would have anticipated how important this component of a product right. would be? I, I think more about I, I, what I love from the start was not only the four of us split the equity in a very fair and clear way, we also set aside 20% of the company for future people coming in just because it was like, how are we going to get help for this? I don't want to put, you know, a ton of money into it. Um, straight up front. I don't want to, I want it to, I want it to be pretty organic. And so I think the best thing we did was share equity with people early. And so there are people who helped us with the books, helped us with uh, legal, helped us with stuff that we're not good at. Um, and we gave them, you know, meaningful pieces of equity. And, and that is a great trade-off. I wish we would have done a little bit more of it a little bit faster. That would have helped us move faster. That, that's probably what I would say is we were kind of, we weren't hesitant, but we were pretty measured in and, uh, you know, who are we bringing in and, and, and how fast are we going to kind of give more shares away? I think we would have, if we had gone faster, we'd be, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a, it would have accelerated things for sure. So in the money, so you said like the first year in, Tony agreed he wasn't going to get paid. Mm -hmm. When you guys first then, like, was it four years ago when you first like sort of got in a room and said it's time to go and do this full time? Is that, when you did that, yes. you obviously had money or did you guys, were still not taking a pay cut, you still weren't taking a paycheck? Um, where did you get the money at that time? Was it debt or was it giving away equity? Or did you get an investor, an angel investors? How yeah, first, eight, first 18 months was our own capital. And so I brought in some, Tony brought in some, um, the, the other co-founders brought in, you know, brought in some. And so we started with that. And, and we actually, for the first 18 months, we had no W-2s, we had no payroll. The only thing we paid was we had, we had 1099 sales reps. And when they sold a deal, we, okay. we paid them, we paid them and we paid them a good chunk. It was basically 30% of first year ACV. We were, we were betting on, we're going to keep these customers. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was, so that was the first 18 months. And then we raised the seed round. We, so it's a, Tony and I laugh about this three years ago. So we were nearing the end of our first year and we had almost a hundred customers. Uh, it, it was clear we were going to end with about a hundred customers at the end of 2017. And so we took a little trip to Silicon Valley. <laughs> we we laugh about it now because we were just, I mean, just it's, it's ignorance is a great weapon in in building a business. It's like yeah. not knowing how stupid you look is such a great tool. <laughs> and we went out and met with a dozen, fifteen VCs and just shared our progress. You know, we we were we were pretty excited about getting two hundred clients. You know, this is we we didn't really start selling until we were about five months in, 
And, and so this was about six or seven months worth of just 1099 sales with just four people. We were getting 200 clients. We were like, this is, this is good. This is really solid. And, and so then we went out to Silicon Valley and, you know, we got a lot of great feedback from people we were in no way ready to talk to. And, and then we came back and, and started to get some interest from local VCs. And so we ended up getting a few term sheets for a seed round. And then it just, we're, we're not, you know, your normal, we're a little bit older than most people starting, you know, do, doing a technology startup. And so there were a lot of things that we were negotiating. You know, it's like, yeah, this deal is based on a 25-year-old engineer who has no business experience. Like, we don't need this, this, and this. And the protected provisions, things like that. Long story short, we got some term sheets, and we ended up running our own seed round. And so we, we did a seed round um, in in middle of 2018 and raised almost 600000 And that's when we started paying people. And so then um, – you know, that was when people started to first first take checks. We got our first W-2s. I think there were about nine or ten people. Um, and then we just steadily built, you know, from there, both from our revenue and from uh, further further investment. That's great. America. America. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, all right. So then you, you had about ten employees at that time, did you say? Like ten? Mm-hmm. Like how many employees do you have now? So that, that was three years ago. Like how big are you guys now? Uh, I think we have about 85. Wow, that's awesome. You know, we're going to have, um, by the end of the year, we should be at about 120, 130. And the plan is by the end of next year to be at about 250. And you just so had we'll a, you just had a big announcement too, right? Because you just raised another round of capital, right? Yeah, we just did our Series B. And that actually started, COVID has been a very interesting trip for us and for our industry as a whole. It's been It's been both, you know, tailwind and headwind. Um, I told this story during our series B pitches that, <clears throat> I mean, we, we took our series A right now, one year ago, it was November 1st last year. And we had just begun deploying the capital really. We had just, I mean, we went from, we went from like nine sales reps to like 25, January 1st, we had a kickoff. We had our first like official training of the <laughs> sales reps. Like, stay, you know, you, you opened up offices too, right? And I, well, that, that, that was coming, but we had just begun to deploy the capital and we had a knockout February. Like we, I think February was either 30 or 40% growth from January. Like it was a huge jump. And then March, by the time March 9th hit, we had over a hundred new clients and we were like, yep, on our way. We're going to get 500 new deals this month. This is awesome. And four, four days later, the world changed, you know, four days later, I'm actually talking to Tony. He's traveling, meeting with potential customers. And he's like, what, what is happening here? And as we're talking, I was like, wow, the NCAA tournament is going to be played with no fans. That's wild. And then like minutes later, wow, the NBA is on pause. And then just really a few minutes later, because it was all in one conversation, at least I remember it that way. Freaking Tom Hanks has COVID. This is for real. Like batting down the hatchet. Like we, I was like, I got to go. I got to go. So it was never real. Tom Hanks had COVID. What's that? It wasn't real until Tom Hanks. Until Tom Hanks got it. It's exactly right. And so then, so we hadn't even really begun deploying the capital, right? And and so I switched to kind of doomsday mode and said, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. And so I was running, you know, I was running a variety of scenarios and saying, well, what if we have zero revenue for 12 months? Like how long, or what if we have zero revenue and we take a 15% pay cut? Like how, how long can we get? And so I started, I mean, it was that kind of drastic. Our investors, you know, are sending us all these white papers and here's how to think about it, this and that. They're super worried. And then we finished with a record sales month in March. And now we, that's record news sales. We had a lot of existing clients who were hurting. And so we're like, listen, 
your payments on pause, you can have a discount, whatever, we're going to work with you, you know? And so we had a lot of our existing business get impaired by it, but then we had just hundreds and hundreds of other restaurants realize they needed us and they, they needed a digital platform more than ever. And so we actually ended up the first four months of COVID, three of those were in our biggest sales months ever. And so as that dynamic started to unfold, then our existing investors were like, this, you know, this company's not going to get, get destroyed right now. And actually maybe we should accelerate. And so we started to, you know, talk about raising more and going faster and then a lot. And then really once May hit, there was a, a lot of external interest, you know, in this topic overall, because obviously, I mean, we have like 10 years of, of trends in, in 10 weeks. And, and then there was a, just a ton of ex external interest to where I was getting five to seven emails or calls a day from VCs. And it was like, well, we were going to wait till the end of the year, but we should, you know, we should pick our heads up and right. see what people are thinking. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that we weren't looking to raise and actually, you know, our cash position was, was fine. We had almost all of the series A funds in the bank when we did this deal, the, the series B, but it just, the whole world changed. It's just clear restaurants know now they have to have a digital component. There's no more of, well, I'm just going to have great hospitality and it's going to work out. You, you have to have modern business processes, modern tech stack. You have to have all of that. And so we just decided now's the right time to accelerate. Yeah, I thought it was, when COVID hit, it was amazing how exposed some of these restaurants were because they didn't have an online ordering process or anything like that. And I remember reading an article, I think in like June about how Chipotle's business skyrocketed because they, they invested so much time in their, their online ordering. And then you would go to some of these great restaurants in Chicago, which I live in, um, and you had to call them up and hopefully get them on the phone and order over the phone. And it was sort of like, how do you not have an online ordering process? Totally. I, I feel like it's changed a lot, but there's still so much more progress that needs to go with these restaurants where there's a lot of them just don't have the online capability, especially in Chicago. We're going back into lockdown. Yeah. Um, oh, don't even yeah, get started on that. Yeah, Sweeney, let me, Sweeney Carney, we, we've all worked uh, we've, at, at smaller companies and we've seen them grow, grow larger. Uh, Sweeney, you said you're at 85 employees starting from zero. What number of employees did you start to see like the culture shift, you know? Because eventually you get to a point, from what I remember, it was about 100 employees. You got to really keep an eye on the culture or it dissipates. You know, the, the, it started with you four founders and then it, and it expands expen exponentially, but then you start to lose the groove when you first started. Have you started to see that yet or do you anticipate that coming up as you hit 100 employees? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like back when, when we were scaling, you know, back, back, back when working at the internet on the internet was a novelty, <laughs> nobody talked nobody talk about culture, you know, nobody talked about, they had, they had like just, you know, just uh, what frames of bullshit values on the wall. And that was yeah. culture, right? Accountability, candor. <laughs> Work your ass off and get as much money as you can. <laughs> Regardless of what that was, cajillity. Right. I mean, we would, oh God. But we would talk about it. We didn't really, I, didn't, I never made practical use. I didn't see practical use of, of culture in a lot of places, but it's such a thing now. It's, it's, it's actually, something we really, really care about and invest in. And it's pretty interesting because, um, first of all, we've always been remote. We've always, like Slack has been our headquarters. The, the personality of the founders was the beginning of the culture. We're just positive and we just, we like to have fun. And people were drawn to us who were positive and like to have fun. Like if you're super negative, just, you wouldn't work out. You know, it just wouldn't happen. You'd get annoyed by us all the time. And, and so we, I think, because we value um, 
it's not like we have groupthink, but we have, we just, like-minded people have been drawn to this, you know, and we've been really lucky for that. And, and, and we continue to seek out like-minded people. And so even when we went from, you know, zero to 12 and then 12 to 25, whatever, all of those increments, we, we kept bringing in people who fit, you know, it's very rare that we brought in people who didn't fit. But now we're getting to that point where you're starting to actually, you know, really scale up. And so probably the best move, one of the best moves of this year is we hired a fantastic head of talent. We purposely didn't call it HR because I didn't want anybody to think this is where complaints go. And this is just where paperwork happens. It's like, this is about talent. And, and this is, you know, software is just people. And so um, we brought in a fantastic head of talent. First thing she did was she interviewed everyone on the team and basically asked them, why do you love Pop Menu? And, you know, like what, what drew you to it and what do you love about it? And she's got a master's in psychology. She's from Austria, very organized. And she took all of this feedback and she actually turned it into uh, useful, you know, summaries of, of why, why do people love, love being here? And so um, that's where our values came from. Actually, we didn't, as founders set out values, you know, we didn't, we didn't like copy and paste them from somebody else's website. We didn't just make stuff up just because it sounded good. This came from, you know, actually talking to the entire team, listening and understanding what they love about it. And then just breaking those into, you know, four groups. And I love, we just have, we just have four values. It's very, very simple. And, and I think the next step is the first time I've ever seen this is the next thing she did was she took those values and built interview questions around them and actually uses them to find people who fit the values and filter out people who don't. And so that's how you do it. I think, I think the whole thing has been so kind of ground up, you know what I mean? And it hasn't been, I think when you start with kind of bullshit values and say, yeah. uh, oh, it's accountability and it's this, this, and this, it's like people go, okay, whatever. And, and uh, yeah, I'll be accountable. Great. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But, but when it's actually like specific, you know, and it's based on experience and it's almost, it's almost like naming a baby a few years after they're born. It's like, uh, now I see your personality. I'm going to name you more accurately. That's what happened with our values is it's like, they weren't something we set out and aspired to be. It's like, well, let's step back now and see who we actually are. And so the fact that we're now using that in our interviewing, we're using that in our employment branding, we use it in filtering people in or out is, I mean, that, I don't know what else you can do um, to, to really keep culture at scale. And there's simple values too, like act like an owner, make others shine, raise the bar and high confidence, low ego. That's, they're simple. They are unique to us and, and they're easy to understand. So, yeah, no, that's great. Hey, so you guys did build out an office, but if you, are you still just all remote? <laughs> Yeah, this is the weird thing. We so we before COVID, right? You built up we popped the champagne on the office March first. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because we we had always wrestled with do we want to be virtual or what, and the team actually pulled us into. They just wanted to be together more and more, and so we we had done kind of a, a WeWork type place that's local uh, in Atlanta. We would go once a week, and then it started to be twice a week, and then we kind of got a little permanent office there, and then we said, all right, let's get a real spot. We got we found a perfect spot for us. And, um, and said, okay, yeah, this is going to be our, this is going to be our place. And we were, we were still figuring out how, what's, what's the cadence. Like, I don't, I don't want everybody thinking they need to be in nine to five all the time. That, that doesn't work. And so as we're figuring that out, you know, we open it up and we shut it down in two weeks. And so, uh, that was a bummer. And, and, um, you know, since then we just actually last week, we released, um, a, a pretty big kind of you know, hey, we're opening the office in a limited fashion. Here's what you have to follow to do it. Um, because team members were like, I really, I want to come back. And so what's funny is we've only, we were only all in the office for two weeks. And, and now we're looking at expanding. <laughs> and people aren't even in there yet. 
And so, um, wow, that's, so you're, that's, you're thinking about expanding the office space. That's so unique right now. With nobody being in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> but, but we're also still thinking of it differently than the old school office, you know, format. It's not, it's, it's more of a hot desk, you know, varied. Uh, it's not yeah. like we need you here rooted in your cubicle, which we don't have cubicles because they're soul sucking. It's just like, this is the place where you can get together and collaborate or you can focus or you can whatever, or you can not be here. We just care about results, but, um, we're going to have enough people in Atlanta that we actually need a little bit more space than we have now. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I feel like that's where a lot of these places are moving to is more of the office is going to be more of a collaborative center where you go yeah. in. Like, um, my last two months has been absolutely insane and I wish I was in the office collaborating with our CEO and CRO rather than doing this all remote because of the back and forth. But, um, I think that's where it's going to be more of conferences, conference rooms and maybe little pod areas where you can get your own private time if you need it, but it's not going to be a signed desk. Uh, you walk into this office nine to five and you're expected to be. Do you, do you guys think, cause Sweeney, you're, you're about to hit scale. And from what I remember ha having to do it, you've done it more on the international side when we were together. Yeah. Um, but when you go that fast, I think where the culture starts to take a whack is the lack of communication where you're just trying to get the job done and you don't want to explain the reason why it needs to be done. You think with technology now that everybody, you know, we got three squares on the screen and we're, we're talking, you think technology helps with the communication for people on explaining, you know, why things need to be, be done. So, so you have a common goal, you know, the reason why you need to do the job you need to do. I think the technology, I mean, look, there's more, we have more to work with than ever. It's still down to the sender and receiver. And, and one thing for me from the beginning is I never understood why organizations didn't share as much context as possible. Everyone does better. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to explain every single thing that's going on. And it's fine to use values as a filter, but values don't tell you why you're doing something. And so for me, from the beginning, it, it, looked, it looked funny, I'm sure, to our early people, but we would, we would do quarterly meetings. You know, there might be six people on it, but we would do yeah. a quarterly meeting. And it was still like, what's our what's our goal what's our vision what were the big things we accomplished what do we miss what's next we do that every month we're so we're doing that on monday and we talk about everything we talk about where we verse our revenue goal you know where we verse uh, the other goals we might have that might be product based or retention or, or what have you i just i don't know how it gets done without sharing all the context and i also don't know why you don't share it you know what i mean yeah. it's like hey we're hit people want to know are we winning are we losing how are we doing and if you have to explain that every single time you know at every individual instance someone's making a decision that's just too much work and you need too much people to do it so for me whatever the technology tools are whether you're in the office like my at commissions inc we had a board it was all physical we were all in the office and on the board every single day it was where are we on revenue where are we on launches you know what's our in, what's our kind of inferred share price you know every single day and that was something everybody i mean you knew oh man we're way behind or we're doing pretty well and and I think it's an old school concept to think that, well, only the leaders should know that stuff. Yeah. You know, for us, it's like, I want everyone's a leader. Like we talk yeah. about all the time. There are no passengers here. I, I, we would not have gotten to where we are without all the people we have. And if you take anyone out, it would have made a difference for sure. And, and we're all owners and you get a different level of engagement and a different level of effort when everyone it does it's not good enough to say they're owners i mean you make them owners everybody has equity in this company and that'll always be the case and and you should function like an owner and you you do act differently when you're an owner and when you're encouraged to be an owner and you're given the information that an owner has 
you get a different level of people holding each other accountable, people supporting each other. And so I, I think that's the main thing for me. That, and I, I feel like people think it's a bit different at Pop Menu than most places in that we're just super, super transparent about what's going on. Carney, you're the finance guy. Is it because people are trying to cover their their ass by adding to or padding their budget and they don't they'll want to be that transparent? Is that is that why people don't share all the numbers? Because you know the board says, okay, you gotta um, do this number, and then it then ah, you know what? I'm gonna tell the sales force. It does it happen, yes or no? <laughs> are you interrogating me right now? Yeah. I just yes or no. Yeah, yes. But okay. I think a lot of it happens because one numbers aren't aren't real time a lot of and when, when you get to be much more complicated and uh you know integrated with a bunch of other companies yeah two plus two does not equal four and you don't want to tell someone this is three plus there's a lot of times you don't uh depending on your ownership they don't want you're a private company they don't want any of this information to get outside of their realm sweeney so, that's why you're doing so well man yeah <laughs> well i mean i just think it makes sense and i think if someone wants information about your finances especially if you're if you're actively raising with institution they're going to find it you know and, and yeah, also also what are they going to do with it you know it's not gonna, you can't compete with somebody just because you know about them you know and right. I, I think also if you have people who are going out and sharing that information that's a people problem you know and that person should be gone and, yep. and it, it's more of that like i always like to do processes for the rule not the exception you know i think probably it's because it's not typically shared because people don't typically have ownership and it's usually like well, if we're making so much profit, why don't I make more money? Or if we have such a big loss, maybe I should look for another job. And people are scared of being too transparent because of how it might impact people's incentives. But I just, my experience with Commissions Inc. and with here is that transparency brings out a different level of, a different level of engagement. Yeah, I think so. Hey, I think we're coming up on time. Pete, do you have any other questions for? Oh, no, Sweeney, man, thank you so much. We gotta bring this dude back. Yeah. <laughs> Sweeney, how's, uh, now that I got you on tape, do you want to uh, admit that I did not touch you on the basketball court when you broke your hip? You broke my fucking hip. Come <laughs> on, we know that didn't happen. You broke You're Mr. Glass. Hip. We'll edit that out in post. <laughs> Mr. Glass, I ran a fucking half marathon after that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just remember for our listeners, we were playing basketball and Sweeney reached for a ball and then his hip came out. I think we were all dying anyways. But yeah, no. very painful. No, no. You were dying more than anyone that else. That is a different level of dying. You guys were yeah, healthy, healthy, laughing at me on you, the floor. We, we thought <laughs> it was a great ball. For Jamie's balls, so you're going to break your hip. We thought it was a great I, ball at first, right? I mean, I didn't know what it was. An explosion in my body is what I know. Yeah. I screamed. What? What I? You were in Lake Geneva that, like, at that house. Yes, I, I will tell you. There was a confluence of bad conditions. It wasn't just you. Well, I'm you looking that word up. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you this: that hurt so bad that it made me a better person. <laughs> oh, it like it like improved me. <laughs> it was, yeah, that it, was. It, it knocked some badness out of me. The oh, amount of screaming that came from that court was, uh, yeah, it was worse than anything I've ever heard. And I've but it was just once. I just screamed things. once, and then I was just in silent, incredible pain. I and they also I, they also because we're in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Yeah. The EMTs that came, the EMTs help. that came out. They had just been working on a cow. That's a true story. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we were just, they came over, I was laying face down and they're like, how you doing buddy? I said, you cannot move me unless you give me morphine. He goes, okay, coming up. And I said, and I can't turn over. And so my hip was dislocated. So you couldn't, the front, I won't get too graphic, oh. but I had to stay facing down. And so he goes, it's okay, man, we've got this tool and we just slide it under you and yeah. you can stay facing down. And he was like, we just use it on this cow. 
<laughs> that's perfect. Perfect. Fill every bump in the ambulance. We tried to move a, you, as I recall, didn't me and yeah, Ben Randy, tried to flip you at one point. Satterfield had some uh, training as a, a soccer coach. He had some training that he wanted to try out, and that didn't go well. That didn't go well. <laughs> All right, well, Body Park would seen that. Thank you so much for uh, joining we'll us that today. Out, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, but thank you so much for joining us. Sweetie, sure you, you rock. Great to see you guys. All right, hey, that was great listening to Brendan Sweeney. Um, you know, we Sweeney, did spend a lot of time with him. Yeah, he killed it. Pete, menu. I think it's time for us to end the podcast. Pete, you want to give some uh, music? Yeah, here, let me go through the copyright. Do-do-do, do-do-do, do-do-do. Chicka-wow, chicka-wow-wow, bam.